Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Starting in preseason, uh, to me, what's now a pretty old school methodology is crushing players in preseason. Day one, the first week, boom, crush them. I mean, absolute crush them. That's not, that's not what you want. All that's going to do is lead to injury. All that's going to do is is reduce um, uh, the productive training that you can do with them. He has been the head of strength and conditioning for some of the best football clubs around the world for the last 25 years. His Rolodex of clients include some of the best athletes in the sport, celebrities, billionaires, and even professional luchadors or pro wrestlers. He has a master's in exercise physiology, a successful YouTube training channel, and is solely responsible for completely revolutionizing the way Mexico's Premier League has implemented strength and conditioning programs and has even designed, developed, and created the Cruz Azul FC Performance Center, which is currently considered the best training facility across the whole league. Jason Statham got his hairstyle and training techniques from him, his biceps have been blessed by the Pope, and he drinks his athletes' tears as a post-workout shake. Please welcome our next guest to the show, Coach Sean Buckley. That was amazing. I don't think we can do better than that. So before we get into your crazy story, man, and thanks for jumping on this with us and uh, in these crazy times, but we're going to put you through a little thing called the brain freeze frenzy. Okay. It's a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? Hit me with it. What's one positive thing you can say about yourself today? About myself today? Um, Been uh, keeping active and trying to learn something. Tell us a little bit about your morning routine. Morning routine. Uh, typically, it's uh, coffee, quick breakfast, and off to uh, off to work early. Although that's changed a little bit now, so it's basically coffee, quick breakfast, and uh, and either a run or some type of workout here in the apartment. What hour is that in the morning? Uh, early, first thing, uh, eight o'clock, uh, eight fifteen, breakfast, nine o'clock, workout. At least first workout of the day. What's your most embarrassing moment in the gym? Most embarrassing moment in the gym? Honestly, I can't really think of one. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's tough. Uh, embarrassing moment in the gym. I'm not really sure I've had one. Although, uh, probably one time when I, was, when I was fairly young, fairly young, meaning in high go. school, uh, working out at like a, a world's gym type thing, uh, the bar getting the typical, the typical uh, novice workout guy lifting bar gets stuck doing the bench press. To me, that was the worst. And only I think there was oh, only sure. one other guy in the gym that had to help me. But to this day, it still stings. Oh, damn. <laughs> I think I think one for me one time was I was doing squats and I thought I was better than than the the clips and <laughs> went sailing. Exactly. And I did the whole, you know, and then I flew off to the side. I was like, all right, I never, I never work out without clips anymore. Right. But, uh, <laughs> all right, Keith, hit it. What is your favorite muscle on the opposite sex? On the opposite sex, legs, absolutely. Quads, hamstrings, yeah, put all together. One. Yeah. No question. I'm that part of the body as well. Uh, who, who is the most impressive football player you've ever strength trained? Ooh, uh, wow, that's 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 good. Uh, impressive in terms of player, impressive in terms of physical ability. Let's do physical ability. Okay. And then player. Okay. Let's do both. I'm going to say physical ability. Um, I'm going to say a guy named Roque Santa Cruz, who's a guy that played for Bayern Munich, played for Manchester City. Um yeah. Uh, and then he ended up at Cruz Azul for a semester. I mean, just a physical specimen, just strong, powerful, quick guy, and also one of the best players that I've ever, uh, you know, that I've ever that I've ever trained. Uh, really wow. good. And in terms of probably the best player, player, um, 
Yeah, I gotta say Paco Palencia. To me, one of the best players that uh, that I've trained. I mean, just just a just a beast on the field, absolute beast. And not and that's skill skill wise is one thing, but just attitude on the field, second to none. And wow. we'll get into it. You've actually, you know, befriended him pretty deeply over the years. You guys are really close. Have a podcast together. We'll jump into that soon. Favorite cheat meal. Favorite cheat meal. Chocolate chip cookies, no question. Ooh. That was my breakfast this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you're a strength and conditioning expert, what's the one biggest pet peeve people do when they weight train? Biggest pet peeve? Um, I would say uh, poor technique. That's that's the one that kills me, poor technique. Just just horrible technique. You can just tell that they've, they just have no no idea what they're doing. That's... It just kills yeah. me. Just kills me. Man, one thing for me is when they don't rack the weights away when they're done. Oof. At least oh, yeah. in this setting, you know, they'll do, they'll get every 45 in the gym, rack it on the inverted leg press, do a quarter rep, and then like dip out. It's exactly. like, thanks, man. Appreciate you. That That's the worst. That's definitely, I mean, that's sort of outside the exercise realm, but from a logistic standpoint, it drives me absolutely crazy. I hate it. Yeah, for sure. Or like when people can't do the basic math and they put everything backwards or the wrong order, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, large plates on top of small plates on the, nah, it's ridiculous. If you could work with one club or football player right now, who would it be and why? Uh, club, club or football player, wow. Um, we'll have to go club, let's say club. Um, I don't know, it would specifically be one club but honestly uh you know one of my objectives at some point is to work with sort of a new up-and-coming mls team to basically get in and start the program from zero you know not going yeah. to an established club that's been there for a lot of years but literally come in as they're starting and go ground up you know to me that's you know that's a, that's an objective that i have well let's dive into that one later last time you threw up while pushing it too hard training um, uh, never, never thrown up, never thrown up. Really? Training. You've, you've made me throw up many times. Yeah, <laughs> never have. Maybe lightheaded, maybe wanted to pass out. Never threw up. Never. Damn. Good for you, man. Well, I guess it's the benefit of being on the other side of the coin, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Keith. Should performance enhancing drugs be legal in professional sports? Hmm. Um, no, <laughs> uh, no, but there is an argument to, to allow them to be, uh, to be legal, meaning you just cut out the testing and just go, you know, just let, let everything go loose. But I think that's, I think that's a, a step too far. I think they still need to be controlled, um, because otherwise, you know, a lot of the substances are just, um, you know, it's just not ethical to allow, to allow whether it's players or fighters or whoever it is, uh, to take uh, illegal banned performance enhancing, especially steroids because of the potential long-term damage. I think it's unethical more than anything else for the health of the yeah. athlete. Yeah, what do you Amen. think about What do you think about for like recovery dosing? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot about that specifically, um, but I think most of it should be done within diet and supplementation. And, and what truly defines a performance enhancing drug? Because you know, a lot of times, especially with with medical marijuana, you know, it's claimed to be like this carcinogenic, terrible thing. But then on the other hand, trying to slate that as some kind of a performance enhancing drug just so that it has some kind of like temperament, I guess, in the sports world. What are your thoughts on the on the fine line between? Okay, well, it depends on specifically what uh, you know what they're talking about. But anything from even you know something that's been taken off the ban list, which is caffeine. Uh, plenty of studies, and I recommend caffeine for uh, workouts, especially uh, pre-game caffeine. Uh, that that is considered a performance enhancing drug. No longer on the doping list, but something like for oh, wow. something like for example uh, marijuana. Uh, I know that you know there's a lot of sports, especially in the you know in the MMA world. A lot of uh, a lot of fighters use it for 
especially for um, for pain control. And yeah. to me, I think that's uh, I think that's something that should not be included in banned substances, something like something like uh, marijuana, because again, it doesn't have to be smoked. It can be uh, it can be you know in an edible or or some other form. Exactly. And ultimately, right. ultimately, I mean, if it if it controls pain and helps you know relax the uh, the athlete, I honestly I don't have a problem with that. I mean, unfortunately, uh, all other. Uh, all, all of the um, the different leagues, they obviously do have a problem with it, but I don't know. Hopefully at some point they get over it, my opinion on that. If you could join the circus, what would you do? Well, if I could join the circus, I would uh, uh, be an administrator, administrate everything, find the people, <laughs> find, uh, yeah, get everyone, uh, get, get all parties organized. That's what I would do. I'd be the top administrator, the... Uh, I have never heard that answer so far. That is a great answer. Straight to PT Barnum. <laughs> this guy coaches. Uh, on that, Coach, best book you've recently read? Uh, last book, um, Oliver Twist. Had never read it. Old, nice, old, nice. old book. Um, you know, I'd read, I'd, I'd read some other Dickens, but never read Oliver Twist. Good book. I'm a fan of the Dickens myself. I've gone through a couple of those. Some of them are quite lengthy. <laughs> If you could call yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? And then secondly, call yourself in 10 years in the future, what would you want to ask yourself? Okay, uh, 10 years ten years ago, uh, if I call myself 10 years ago, um, honestly, I would say pick it up, pick it up, get, get up to speed, get going faster, get going faster, get going faster. Um, you know, basically there's something to be said for sort of the slow, you know, incremental, you know, increase. But, uh, you know, I think that I would have, uh, I would tell myself to, to pick it up, pick it up or just leave it, pick it up or go do something else. Mm. And then if you could call yourself in the future, what would you want to ask yourself? Oh, uh, wow. Good one. Good one. Uh, if I could call myself in the future, guy, you're killing me with that one. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I guess, <laughs> How did it work out? <laughs> Was this the right choice here? Tell me which which direction I need to go here. Do I do I, do I keep on the path or do I uh, do I get out? A little self reflection. It's good for all. Okay, the most annoying thing, the most obnoxious thing, maybe that self proclaimed Instagram fitness coaches do that completely discredits themselves. Um, I. It's interesting. It's um, unfortunately a lot of what I see. It's a little. It's a. It's too general, and okay. it's it's very much of a. It's sort of a micro uh, image of a workout or a program. It's just too micro. It's just too, um, you know. It's too like selling smoke is what I call it. You know. Um, Snake oil salesman. Yeah, basically, but it it just doesn't take into account uh, a long term goal. It's just very localized. This movement, this movement, do this type of thing. Uh, I think that's the part that drives me nuts. Nuts about that is you know primarily. We'll definitely jump into you know maybe how you construct your programs and, and then the differences uh, down yes. the line. But last question of the brain freeze frenzy. If you could only pick one exercise to have your athletes incorporate that yields the most bang for the buck in terms of effectiveness and efficiency, what would it be and why? I'm gonna call. I'm gonna say uh, there's a few, but I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a clean pull, a clean pull, complex movement and a power based movement because ultimately that's what you're looking for. Could could you describe what that is? To people who don't know what that would be, sure. Similar to it would be similar to doing like a power clean, or if you ever watch Olympic weightlifting, the there's the clean and jerk. Yes. Okay. But uh, with the athletes that I work with, it's very difficult to get uh, football players, soccer players, to do a proper clean. Sometimes you can do it. Uh, if, if, when I've worked with more youth academy players that you may have for a few years, you can get them to that point. But when you're jumping into a team and players that more than likely haven't done it, it's very difficult. 
But what they can do, you can get them to the point where they're doing like a basic, either from the floor or above the knees, a clean pull. So they don't have to, they don't have to turn it around. They just have to produce quick force and get the bar up. I, you know, I can typically get, get even the worst lifter there. And that, that's what I'm looking for to help produce, produce as much force and, uh, and power as possible. It's amazing, man. Well, congratulations, coach. You've successfully completed the brain freeze frenzy. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it didn't cause you any problems up here for the rest yeah. of the episode. <laughs> it may, it may. <laughs> Bob, well, brain freeze aneurysm. You, you crushed it, my man. You crushed it. So as we jump into your story and, uh, as you know, we've told you about this podcast and, and kind of talking on our pre-call and, uh, our, our mission with call to action is just to tell people's stories through struggle and, and conquering, you know, call to action for us is much more than just the title. It's like we all, we all hit slumps and especially now with this craziness going on, I'm sure we'll jump into that too. But you know, in your early years, can you briefly like paint the picture and for our users and listeners, uh, kind of where you grew up, uh, things you were into as a young man and just like how fitness shaped you into where you are today. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because after we spoke uh, yesterday, I, I kind of sat back and thought about it a little bit, like where, you know, kind of where it all comes from. But I think it was, I mean, it just kind of goes back to the fact that I've, I've just always been interested in physical activity. I never really thought about it, but, you know, observing, you know, kids in general, I think I was just always interested in doing something physical. Not necessarily like a hyperactive kid. I don't think that's that's what I was, but I always wanted to be doing doing something, doing something, moving, moving, skateboarding, basketball, uh, soccer, you know, baseball, even sports like baseball, I wasn't so good at as a kid, but it was something and it was moving and it was doing something or swimming or mm -hmm. bicycles or whatever it was outside doing something, doing something. And then, um, you know, I had, there, there was a deal where I, when I was in school, you know, in grade school specifically, physical education, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I think for the same reason that it was just, uh, it was just movement and it was just, you know, constant activity. I, I just loved it. Again, not a hyperactive kid, but I absolutely loved it. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, growing up playing sports, especially, especially soccer, um, by the time and skateboarding and you know cycling and everything else, but by the time I went to university, unfortunately, because I don't I don't recommend this, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that okay, high school. Then what do you do? Um, I guess I'm supposed to go to college, right? Okay, start college. I went to a community college because they offered me a scholarship to play soccer, and I said, all right, cool, and paid for most of it, and and it was nice. But two years later, I was done, and uh, was planning on transferring to uh, Arizona State, with, you know, where, where I'm from, and uh, had to pick a major. Two years into university, I, I've, uh, okay, I don't know. I mean, two years into college, I mean, looking through, you know, at that time, it was all, you know, paper brochures and everything, looking at the different majors and everything, and I had no idea. I mean, it was, it was killing me, the whole thing. No idea between everything. I'm like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. And I say, whoa, 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 exercise science. Wait, I've never heard of it. Exercise science. Oh, that's it. Don't know what it is. Don't know what you do with it. Again, I don't recommend this to anything. I have a daughter that's going to be in, you know, in college in a year, and I'm definitely not recommending she just goes and figures it out later. But I had no idea until I saw it in the bro in the the Arizona State brochure. Exercise science. That's it, right? Okay, all right, there it is, right there. How long did it take before you knew, okay, that was the right choice? Uh, instantly, yeah, instantly. Especially when, especially getting into the coursework and then one of the, one of the classes was um, uh, designing weight training programs. Now again, we're talking a number of years ago, right? I mean, I had zero experience training anyone except myself, just going to the gym, working out, doing whatever I did. Um, until I took uh, a weight training class, especially designing weight training programs uh, for athletes specifically. And at the time, it was, it was taught by the director of strength conditioning at, at Arizona State, a guy named Tim McClellan. Uh, absolutely loved it. And 
absolutely love it. I said, oh, this is definitely what I what I need to be doing. And I asked him, I said, hey, uh, uh, kind of nervously, oh, is there any possibility? Do you think I could maybe, uh, by any chance, do my internship, you know, at uh, at the strength conditioning department? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 come see me. We'll sign you up. Good to go. It's like, whoa. It's like, perfect. And uh, did that for a semester. Fantastic, great experience. Again, I, I went into it. I knew nothing, knew nothing. And even the first few days, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just jump right in, jump right in. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm not sure what that means, but all right. I uh, did the best I could. And after a semester, uh, they were so impressed these, uh, uh, with, with, with the uh, probably more enthusiasm than anything. Uh, they offered me a paid position, still as an undergrad, a paid position. Hey, wow. Paid position. And the one thing that's crazy is, I very specifically remember, they paid me $6 an hour, $6 an hour to be, you know, basically one of the, you know, lowly assistants, right? Student assistants still, because I was still going to school, $6 an hour. And uh, I thought that was the best thing ever. I, this is amazing. This is, I'm going to get paid to do this. This is crazy. Six dollars an hour. I thought it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. Crushing it. Six yeah, bucks an hour. I'm getting paid for it, man. I'm getting I'm getting money for doing this. This is amazing. Well, see, that's step one, right? You, you know, you, you get to do what you love, and then you get you get paid a little money. Yeah, I thought. I, I mean, it could have been less, and I would have been just as ecstatic. <laughs> so you got the first job there. Uh, was there any time, did you jump right in to go into your master's degree or did, did you spend some time working with a team before then or what was that step look like? Well, it was, um, I did a lot of work uh, as I finished, but kind of backing up a little bit. Also when I was there, uh, and this is this is kind of what's important about doing things, uh, and this is something you know, I'll mention later, but um, about meeting people and getting in with people because that, that uh, opened a connection to uh, a guy who was at the time working with the Chicago Cubs, the minor league teams. Uh, as mm -hmm. you know, they do the, the Cactus League spring training in Arizona. Yeah. And it always needs guys to help because they bring in, uh, in this case, it was all the minor league teams. And they're just, just a massive amount of guys. And they needed people, they just needed eyes and people to, you know, kind of, you know, guide the players through their workouts. And I did that for free, you know, volunteer position, uh, volunteer, no, 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 volunteer. And I got, uh, I got one Chicago Cubs polo shirt and a, and a Chicago Cubs t-shirt. <laughs> and I was like, amazing again. This is, this is too good to be true. I'm in. <laughs> so from the Cubs, you know, what, uh, what did you take away working with you? We'll get into maybe some of the contrast between working with football players and baseball players, if there is one, Not much. but, uh, did you enjoy working with them? Yeah, definitely. And it was, you know, now, now that I think about it, it was sort of my first introduction to working in multiple languages as well. Uh, because mm -hmm. as you know, you get a lot of Latin players, uh, in baseball, you know, whether they're, uh, from Venezuela, specifically Dominican Republic or wherever they're from you know, a few Mexicans in there. And uh, uh, that was the first time I'd actually worked in, in, in different languages. But, uh, you know, that was for a spring training. And once I finished my undergraduate degree, I mean, I was on the phone nonstop, nonstop trying to get a graduate assistant position because especially at the time, that was sort of the, that was sort of the way to get in. You, you know, finished your undergrad and then went to a graduate assistant position uh, at a university working with working with teams and I called and called and called and I must have talked to easily 30 strength coaches and they had nothing at the time and ultimately oh. something kind of fell into uh, on the <laughs> funny on the fax machine at uh, at Arizona State they got a fax uh, from the University <laughs> of Kansas yeah yeah some of the people listening to this may not even know that um, what is this fax he's talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure Ben knows. Uh, fax machine. Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Came in to them. They just sent, you know, blanketed fax out everywhere. And I and they said, hey, man, uh, maybe jump on this. And I did. And I called them and uh, and spoke to them a couple of times. And they offered the position. I went out to uh, went out to Kansas, having never lived outside of Arizona. 
and uh, it, great experience was able to, I mean, but they, you know, they, you know, I was, they, they, they kill, they kill you in there in those graduate assistant positions, at least back then. I mean, you were, you know, they, you know, bought your books, uh, housing, uh, tuition, everything, but you worked for it and worked. And I mean, it was 80 hour weeks, I'm sure. 5.30 in the morning to 9, 9.30 at, at night. And, you know, I practically had to sneak away just to go to the classes, you know, but it was a lot of work. And I said, no, I'm here for the experience, but I'm getting this degree. I'm getting this degree. I'm not missing class. So, um, yeah, so it worked out really well. Got the degree, uh, finished up, and ended up going back, uh, back to Arizona. For our listeners, how many languages do you speak? Uh, two, two, but solid two, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this this dude can pass as a Mexican if you just talk to him on the <laughs> phone. If 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 you have another Mexican and him talking and don't show a picture of Sean, he sounds probably <laughs> better than than that guy for sure. One hundred percent. And how much of a competitive advantage would you say that is being able, you know, having a multilingual? It's definitely an advantage. Um, I mean, not too far. Right now, I'm working at a first division team in the the Cypriot league. Which is uh, in Cyprus, in the Middle East, Mediterranean, and uh, you know, I kind of thought I'd be leaving, you know, the Spanish behind a little bit. Uh, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Okay. Um, the coaching staff, um, the uh, sporting director, uh, and probably about half of the team Spanish speakers from Spain. Spanish speakers. I think there's one guy from Argentina. Um, all the rest Spanish speakers. Uh, and so I end up every day, um, I'm giving all instructions in English and all instructions in Spanish. So I'm doing double instruction, which is, you know, more than I did before. I worked in Mexico for a lot of years and it was all just Spanish, Spanish, Spanish. Oh, now I'm, you know, now I'm, now I'm double timing it, English and Spanish. Going from, you know, we'll get into that for sure. Uh, but I want to keep building the story quickly. You know, as you transition out of school, what, what was the road to your first professional soccer team? And where was that? It was, um, it was interesting. After I had finished uh, graduate school, no plan, unfortunately. Uh, I, I kind of wish I had uh, laid out a better plan, but uh, um, ended up basically doing personal training for a couple of years. Uh, and, uh, and, and just through a series of odd connections, uh, met some people that knew the uh, president and vice president of a team in Mexico called Cruz Azul, which is one of the, the, the top clubs, and was invited to go speak to them. And they asked if I was willing to do sort of a pilot program to go down there and work with work with some some players. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I even you know kind of quit my job and left the clients that I had because I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, went down there. Uh, for three months, at the end of the three months, I'd done testing with these with these players and presented to the uh, the team directors the, the results and okay, great, thank you very much and that was kind of it and and they left and uh, I'm kind of like okay uh, and now and I went and caught up with the vice president of the club. I said, look, excuse me, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to bother you, but um. You know, I was only supposed to be here three months, and this was sort of the end of this trial period. What's the, uh, what's, oh, no, no, you're staying on. You're staying on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, you're good. You're good. You're staying on. I'm like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> and, Sweet. and stay on I did for uh, about 15 years. Wow, man. What, uh, what are some of the biggest moments in there, the memorable moments that you've, you've had? I mean, there's got to be a plethora of them. Yeah, a lot. I mean, um, I mean, I really, obviously, you cut my teeth in 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 the sport of football there, and it wasn't it wasn't easy. I mean, I worked with especially like uh, younger teams. Uh, I mean, players from twelve, thirteen years old, all the way up to the first division. So, I mean, the whole range oh. was in there. Uh, so it was really, you know, with the younger players, you know, sort of getting the base of strength, speed, whatever it was. And just bringing them along, but at the same time working with already established players, and it was probably the best laboratory that you could think of in terms of in terms of um, uh, coming up with uh, drills, exercises, protocols, 
a, a methodology and and to see what works and what doesn't work because you know ultimately you can study and read and get as many degrees as 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 there are available but once you're in there doing it and learning what works what doesn't work uh i mean that's really where the rubber hits the road on that deal because there's you know there's sports science which you know you can study sports science i studied sports science and then there's strength and conditioning um and to me the sports science uh is a it, it is a supporting role to the strength and conditioning coach providing information you know but mm -hmm. it's the strength and conditioning coach that um that takes that information and tries to convert it into something on the field or in the gym, you know, right. that's going to, that's going to lead to uh, improved performance. Absolutely. What would you say that did, like, there's some people who probably don't even know what strength and conditioning is versus, you know, your traditional, just personal trainer. Can you describe the differences and levels between those two and maybe how that applies to what you're doing today? Yeah. Uh, at the end of sports performance, it's it's uh, you know it's creating a, a program and a series of protocols with the objective being uh, an end result, which is a, a, a sports performance either on the field or you know whatever the sport happens to be, and uh, it, and it's very specific. Uh, a lot of it's very specific by sport. Um, you know, in terms of the energy systems developed, in terms of the injuries that the sport produces, uh, either the sport itself or in training that you have to, uh, that you basically have to adapt the program to pre prevent injuries and, and, uh, and ultimately have a you know, high level of performance. Whereas, okay, if it's personal training, uh, it could be a recreational, uh, recreational athlete, so to speak, but typically it's, you know, general fitness or, you know, losing weight or gaining gaining muscle, which you know is very valid for the for the normal you know person. But when you know you're with a, an elite level team, uh, ultimately it's it's win, it's win. You need to win games, you need to win games, and need to keep your players healthy. And that's 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 the difference. Again, that's where you know where the rubber meets the road. Whatever you're gonna do, it has to end up. Uh, the end result has to be. Has to be performance. Has to be wins. Has to be points in the in in the table, uh, whether it's a playoff or whatever it is. Ultimately, that's what it is. Because no matter what type of job you do, if if there aren't results behind it, results in term in terms of you know winning, in terms of points, you know you, you tend to get lost. It's kind of everything's a disaster if you don't get the if you don't get the uh, if you don't get the result. The big W at this elite level. Would you say that there's a correlation between, say, age and injury? Uh, Interesting. Ooh. Uh, uh, hmm. Uh, good, good. That's a fantastic question. Not necessarily. Um, because there's more of a correlation with the fact that nowadays, especially, and this is every sport. This is, this is football, but this is also... American football, anything that's played at speed, everything's okay. faster. Everything's faster. Football specifically, I mean, the, the studies back it up. Year after year, uh, the sport has become incrementally faster, faster, faster. And it's typically those, um, the speeds that the players have to produce over and over again that leads to injuries. So um, I've had plenty of experience with older players that because of their preparation, uh, don't get injured. Younger players, you know, will also get injured. It doesn't, you know, some of these injuries, uh, it's not older or younger, although an older player that maybe hasn't taken uh, care of himself or hasn't done, you know, the proper uh, preventative uh, type training. Can you talk about those actually? Like decipher what a good athlete versus maybe a great athlete would do in those preventive, like what does taking care of themselves look like for, for the elite athlete versus your just middle ground Joe? Perfect. Um, well, I'll, I'll lay it out like this. Typically a, a younger athlete, just, just, just for the sake of being younger, uh, doesn't, uh, just by nature, doesn't take care of himself as well. Just as generally speaking, uh, meaning, uh, 
uh, hours of sleep, uh, meaning uh, nutrition, uh, meaning maybe cold plunges, you know, to, to, to reduce inflammation, which, you know, there's good and bad information about that. Um, it's sort of all these preventative type things, whether it's extra strength training, whether it's extra speed training. But once an athlete starts to get older and they kind of see the, uh, the finish line on the career, that's when you tend to see them taking, you know, better, better care of themselves. Um, so to me, that's kind of the difference there, right? Because as players get older, they want to continue in the sport because they know once it's over, it's over. There's no going back. There's no hitting the reset button. Yeah. There's nothing. So, um, you know, this is something I try to instill in, in all the athletes is the importance of uh, proper night's sleep because there's nothing better. In terms of recovery, that's the number one key factor. And still something I think a lot of, a lot of athletes in general don't understand. They think, ah, oh, six hours, I'm good. Six and a half hours, I'm good. Uh, they probably think seven hours is just, you know, that's just another world. It's not. Eight hours better, nine hours better, ten, nine and a half hours even better in terms of recovery. And that's the number one thing. Obviously, hydration, obviously, you know, nutrition. Um, and these are all factors. And I've seen everything. I've seen players that, that burn out really quick because uh, they didn't take care of, uh, of those areas. And I've seen players that have, you know, finished at 38, 39, pushing 40 years old because, because they do take care of, uh, you know, of all those factors. Four. For, you know, here, so here at CTAP, we love to do the hot cold, the cycle between like the bath, the cold plunge, etc. Could you talk maybe about the positives? And you had mentioned a little bit, maybe there being some negatives. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. It's, ah, this is, this is something that I've researched over the years, over and over and over again. Um, and kind of my thought has always been, it doesn't do harm. Because, you know, ultimately with things that aren't quite, you know, that has some varying um, evidence or lack of evidence, um, you know, ultimately you don't want to do harm. And, to, and over the years I have done a lot of, especially, you know, cold plunges or, or hot, cold contrasts and things like that. But, but I've also okay. seen some information where, you know, completely, um, um, completely shutting down the process of inflammation may not be so good either because you know all of the all of the you know all the liquid and blood that's pumping to the areas is is, is there for a reason it's there to to help regenerate uh you know muscle tissue and cells and things like that um but there's also a factor that we have to keep in mind and that's the factor that what does the player feel better doing you know if the player thinks if the player believes that there's an advantage to doing yeah. either a cold water plunge or contrasts, that's that's all you need. Oh, then it works. If they believe it works, it does work. It is working. Yep. And players are like that. Players are very, you know, uh, I mean, that's borderline superstitious, but whatever it is that they're thinking, no, if, if in their mind it's working, if in their mind they have to do it to feel good, then it works. Oh, there's science behind the placebo effect. It's a real... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's players that absolutely have to, you know, they have to do it, have to do it. And and you know that if they don't, that it's in the back of their mind. Oh, no, I didn't do this. And I, oh, you know. And, you know, you know it's up there kicking around, right? So, uh, yeah, if they think it works, it, it does work. You know, over the years, you've been, you know, designing these, you know, there's preseason training strength training i'm sure it's a little bit heavier hectic you know i remember that um and then there's you know early season training progressive overloading and uh and then towards like mid to late season into into postseason you know playoffs there's the tapering can you describe how maybe your programs what you've learned over the years like when you first started how your training programs started from pre you know um mid and then post to what it is now and maybe how you have evolved as a as a strength and conditioning coach definitely and and, and you said it right there is the progressive overload being progressive with the, with the program uh starting in preseason uh to me what's now a pretty old school 
methodology is crushing players in preseason. Day one, the first week, boom, crush them. I mean, absolute crush them. That's not, that's not what you want. All that's going to do is lead to injury. All that's going to do is, is reduce um, uh, the productive training that you can do with them. You have to understand uh, that in the offseason, what's typically in football is, is very limited. Send them with the program. Uh, motivate them. Inspire them to do the best they can with that program. But understand that once they come in, you can't crush them. You have, it has to be progressive. Be progressive. Be progressive. And... And, and take take advantage of that opportunity to do some things that maybe you, know, you can't do so much in the season. Uh, concentrate on on lifting technique, especially. You know, you're getting a, a, um, the same base group, but you also have some new players. So reinforce lifting technique with the guys that have been there there before, and introduce it to the guys that are coming in. Um, also, a little secret, little secret as uh, as the season progresses. Here you go, little secret here. And a lot of a lot of people won't uh, won't reveal this, but uh, this is one thing I've learned: the players that are playing, the players that are playing, they're going to get fit no matter what, hmm. because there's no better stimulus than the game. There's no better yep. stimulus than the game. They're not the ones that I'm worried about so much. The ones I'm worried about are the ones that aren't playing, the ones that aren't playing 90 minutes, uh, the ones that aren't coming mm. off the bench. Um, even though you know the guys coming off the bench, depending on how much how much they play, if they're only playing 15, 20, 25 minutes, I'm worried about them as well. But I'm not as concerned with the players that are playing in terms of their 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 conditioning. I'm concerned about the ones that aren't playing, and I'm concerned about the moment that one player either isn't available for whatever reason, whether it's you know being suspended a game or a couple games, and someone needs to. Or, or a player that's become injured by contact or hopefully not by a non-contact injury. And the guy that's going to replace him that maybe hasn't played, you know, an actual game in months. That's the one I'm concerned about because if he goes in after having not, not you know, played all this time in terms of at the high level, um, those are the ones I'm concerned about. So, so this differentiation of what you do with players that are playing compared to what you do with players that uh, are not playing. To me, that's one of the, one of the crucial areas that, that, that I've really learned that has to be addressed. And I, I think over the last few years is something I've really adapted. I've really adapted to and, and have worked specifically with those players to make sure that, you know, once they're called upon, because at some point you have no idea when that player will be called upon, that player has to be ready and you can't, Send a player that hasn't been playing to play. Worst case scenario, yeah. worst case scenario, a muscle injury because he's not used to the, he's, you know, adapted to the high speed running and the number of sprints that you have to do. Um, and best case scenario, can't last the ninety minutes. So at the end of the minute, at the end of the game, you know, he's getting crushed by, you know, by the player that he's uh, that he's playing against. So. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the, one of the biggest areas that, uh, that I've learned and, and that, uh, that I think I'm doing pretty good at now. Solid advice. Do you guys keep track of like injury ratios? Is there like stat sheets for strength and conditioning coaches too? Like there are for players, like past percentage completion and, and assists and goals. Is there something like that for the professional strength and conditioning coaches? No, uh, no, there really isn't. And I think there should be, especially, especially when a team is looking to sign a player. Uh, I think they, mm -hmm. they need to look more at, cause it becomes a guessing game, right? You can look at way scout, which is this program. Uh, it's worldwide. You can look at the player and you can see statistically, okay, this player has been with, such and such a team for a year and a half has played however many games. Well, how come we didn't play all of the games? Yeah. You don't know if it was because of injury or because, you know, what, 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 what the story is. But what is important is once you get a player in, you do some type of, uh, of screening in terms of injuries, whether you take him and do the isokinetic, um, the, you know, the Cybex machine to see how they're doing yeah. quad strength or comparing quad to hamstring strength. Uh, vertical max, uh, VO2 max, these type of things, and and see where you know where this where the player is. But to me, this is something that should be addressed. And it's you know internally, it's all within the within the uh, you know athletic training department or 
what they call worldwide the physios, right? They're the ones that have that data. But it's typically not really shared between clubs, unfortunately. So, um, you know, clubs hmm. really have to do their homework to figure out what they're getting before they get it. Absolutely. What, um, and now transitioning a little bit, um, you've developed one of the craziest training facilities in, you know, Mexico's league, uh, first division league at Cruz Azul. Tell us what, you know, if, if you're building a gym today, let's say for the new club that you're at, um, and we'll get to maybe some of the other teams you've been able to work with because your, your roster is insane. But, um, you know, what, what do you look for in building a gym? Like if you were to build one right now for them, um, what are some machines you like? What are some, you know, equipment that you would incorporate? Well, um, I've now done, uh, had the opportunity to do two facilities. One, the first one was at, uh, was at Cruz Azul. And then after I left Cruz Azul and went to a team called Pumas, which is also a first division, one of the big clubs, also in Mexico City. Huge. Uh, they were putting together a new, um, a new training ground uh, for the first team and asked me to also design uh, the weight room, which is, which is what I did. And I did learn a bit from the first one that, you know, that I could apply to the second one, but they both kind of have the same underlying um, uh, philosophy to it. And that philosophy is basically open spaces, um, equipment that is as versatile as possible, meaning you're not, uh, you're not stuck to, you know, certain type of movements, specifically meaning, you know, uh, uh, not using machines because, you know, obviously uh, just a traditional machine uh, for the square footage on it, it's, uh, it's, too, it's too general and uh, doesn't really allow you to do, you know, what, you know, the way I try to train players, which is, you know, a foot contact on the ground, explosive type movement. So a lot of barbells, uh, kettlebells, dumbbells, TRXs. So it's very versatile, but also very, uh, 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 lends itself to uh, basically complex exercises. So that's that's what I try to do. Now, you know, in terms of, you know, what type of brands, it doesn't really matter. Now, if you have a little extra money to spend, you can throw a few more bells and whistles in there, meaning, you know, Vertimax type things or, uh, uh, you know, things like that. But, you know, squat racks, benches, boxes, plyo boxes, hurdles, uh, uh, you know, basically Dynamax, medicine balls, uh, D balls, those type of things. If you have all of that in a very organized facility, you're better than 90 to 95% of the clubs out there. Really? Absolutely. What about like we were discussing earlier between the hot cold plunge, the sort of unconventional stuff? Is, is that is that part of the equipment? Well, that's funny. It's funny because um, now it's been a few years since I did that, but um, yeah, people looked at me like I was crazy when I was doing that. But you know, but again, I'm coming from a different culture. Like I said, I was at uh, you know Arizona State University of Kansas, and this is not much different than what, you know, that the equipment that they had at those facilities at the time. Um, okay. And you look nowadays, especially at the universities, even, even at high school level and pro level, obviously, but that's, you know, that's, that's how the, uh, that's how the facilities are, are designed. Uh, they're designed where any strength coach that goes in there can implement anything they want to do, you know, with okay. free weights, with bars, with squat, with, you know, with power racks, squat racks, everything else. But, you know, honestly, football to me, especially in Latin America, is still lagging. I, you know, I put those facilities in there and, you know, what I, <laughs> crazy enough, but um, I get plenty of stories from guys that are still at those teams. And there are times where I say, well, how's, how's it going with the weight room? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we don't, uh, we don't work out in there. I said, whoa, 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 what do, what do, what do you mean? Uh, no, 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 the fitness coach yeah, doesn't even have us do strength training. And I just, uh, oh my God. it just, uh, it's my, it's mind boggling. That's like having a chef, like chef Gordon Ramsay go into a kitchen and say, Oh, we don't have pots and pans. You've got to cook this steak, but we don't have pots and pans. 
We're not gonna, or we have them, or we're not gonna use them though. Right. In in this case, in this case, in those two organizations, they absolutely have the tools. But what came later were people that don't know how to use those tools. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I relate it to, um, you know, if you are a Formula One team, but you don't have the equipment to maintain the vehicle, how are you going to compete? I don't, I don't see how you're going to compete. So on that note, how do strength and conditioning coaches get linked up with teams or transfer teams? Like, is there a system, you know, your story of, of getting to Cruz Azul is really incredible. Actually, it, all the stars needed to align properly, but that's not going to happen, you know, for the majority of people, the majority of people work through a system. How, how does the evolution of where you are now kind of work in terms of where you get placed with the, what team and, and in what country? Yeah, well, there's typically, you know, there's, there's really two, two, two routes to getting, especially if someone's trying to get to, you know, an elite level team. There's a couple different routes and it's, uh, and it all depends on the organization. Uh, for example, the United States tends to be a country where um, they hire institutional guys, whether it's that, uh, tends to be not always, but, uh, it could be someone that's hired by the organization. And this is the person that's going to implement the strength conditioning. Whereas a lot of times with football, this person comes with the, the, the coaching staff. So you typically have, you know, in football in Mexico, almost a hundred percent of the time it's the head coach, assistant coach, or maybe two assistants, strength conditioning coach, and then maybe either another assistant or a goalkeeper coach mm. type of thing. So it's they tend to you know travel with that coach and also get fired with that coach. And I've now I've been on both sides where you know I was with an organization where I was an institutional guy working with all the different levels to going with a coaching staff where you know, you're, you're sweating it out every week. If, you know, you lose a game, now, ooh, are we gonna have a job next week? You lose two games, oh, like, no. oh, you know, am I gonna be able to, you know, pay rent next month type of thing? Or, you know, where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do? Or being with, uh, being the institutional guy, but now you have to adapt and you have, you know, to uh, the coach coming in and try to figure out what they want and try to make this person happy. So it's it's challenging both ways. You know, one, you have, uh, maybe stability in the position and the other one maybe pays a little more, but you're, you know, you're sweating you it week after week, absolutely sweating it. So, um, you know, ultimately what it is, is, uh, is just putting yourself out there, making contacts and, uh, you know, kind of one thing I've learned even at, you know, even at, uh, the, you know, my age and the number of years that I've been, been doing this is, uh, you know, kind of have, uh, you know, kind of have uh, pans and all the different burners. You know, if one thing, you know, try to, you know, keep uh, over here, if something happens, uh, oh, that's good. And then, oh, hey, you know, something over here and just kind of keep, uh, uh, keep as many opportunities open as possible. That's incredible, man. Yeah, a lot of people don't get to see the other side of the coin. You always see on, you know, especially on ESPN in the United States here, American football is way bigger than than the real football but uh you always see week after week this coach gets fired for losing two games but at the end of the day it's not you know it's interesting even being you know an ex-player myself wondering how to coach I don't understand how coaches get fired so easily when it's the team performing on the field like there is the leadership and the reflection and all that but a lot of the time it's just it, it there's it doesn't connect directly. Like the coach could still be a kick ass leader, but he's only as good as his you know worst player, if you will. So he's yes. got a whole. It, it's just it's very interesting dynamic how we view it as a consumer versus being in it and being the coach. You guys take the hit the hardest. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah, and typically it's I mean the 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 press and the media's focus is is. It's like the old uh, the old expression: players win games, coaches lose games. That's I mean the best thing you can do <laughs> as a coach is win, and no one even pays attention, right? Because it's the players <laughs> that win, it's the coach, it's the coach that loses. Because when when a team's not winning, uh, the focus is typically not on the players; it's on the coach. And when the team is winning, wow, this you know these players are so good, and this such such a player that scored this many goals is yeah. 
it's it's all it's always that way, unfortunately. But you know that's part of that's part of being in it. Are there some tactics that when you see on the field, kind of as an observer, observing other coaches, that you're like, yes, that is the recipe for success. What this coach is doing is extraordinarily different from some of the other coaches, and maybe that turns into some extra wins. Uh, yeah, and I and it's something that I try to apply to what I do as well, and it is um, group management and interpersonal communication with the players, meaning try to have um, try to have a connection to each player, you know, so, so each player has bought in, in my case, to the strength conditioning program and the case of Interesting. The, case, the case of the technical coach, that that player has bought in to the system of play, uh, very similar. So again, uh, how does that happen? Like what are, what are some things you've noticed that help your chances of a player buying into your system or, or what are, mm -hmm. and then what are some stories maybe that you have of some difficulties getting a player that eventually did convert and then became like, you know, really started taking off in their career. Were there anything like that happen? Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it's always that there's always players that will do exactly what, you know, what you're, uh, what you're asking them to do at, at, at full speed and everything else. And, and, you know, kind of a, a rookie mistake or a novel mistake is to sort of start leaning towards, you know, uh, being closer to those players because you're obviously attracted to those players because they're doing what you want to do. But those aren't the ones that you need right. to worry about. It's the ones that, you know, either they either have some type of other idea or maybe their work ethic isn't quite what it should be. Those are the ones that, you know, as difficult as it is because they're typically not that open you know, hmm. to training or doing what you want to do. But those are the ones you need to kind of, you know, uh, get close to, speak to more, uh, try to get them in. And and to me, it's not like it, it, when I'm implementing a program, it's not like, okay, everyone has to do this. Everyone, this is the program and that's it. You know, if there's a guy that for some reason doesn't like doing X and Y, okay, um, we're not going to do X and Y for you. Um, tell me what the issue is and we're going to change up just those elements of the program, you know, for that player. There are players that don't like to do, uh, you know, plyos or, mo you know, uh, continuous jumps. They just don't. They're just either not good at it or it, typically it's, oh, it hurts this, it hurts this. Okay, no problem. Ultimately, what are we trying to do? We're trying to be, be more explosive. Okay, we can... We can be more explosive doing other types of movements. What would you implement if a player's like, "Hey, I don't, I don't want to do plyo boxes, but I want to be more explosive." What would you implement instead of that? Yep. So, you know, one element of of, of explosive strength is the strength element. Okay, so maybe we do uh, some, you know, higher intensity, like maybe a little more weight, um, single leg squats, or or you know, maybe a, a typical back squat. And if they don't like doing plyos, then we can do, okay, we can do maybe uh, a, a box jump where you end up just on the box. So there's no continuous movement and there's typically no, no, uh, there's typically no complaints with that, especially when they see that you're trying to work with them and you're trying to adapt a little bit. They're, they're more than willing to, you know, to kind of, to kind of come your direction in the middle. a little bit. Yeah. But you know, the worst thing is to just sort of say, oh, this guy doesn't like doing this. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, put forth effort. Same with the technical coach. You know, you have your starting 11, right? And a lot of coaches uh, will only focus on those starting 11. But it's all the other guys that you need to worry about because if they're not happy, yeah. if they're not happy, the environment in the locker room is maybe not so good. So there's all these other sort of elements you have to, you have to, uh, you have to consider. It's not just the, having your top 11 guys happy, the guys that are playing. Of course, they're happy they're playing, right? But it's all yeah, it's the other 15, 16, 17 guys you also have to worry about because you're going to need them at some point. And you also need a healthy group, you know? You need a healthy group. Yeah. Everyone has to feel involved. Everyone has to feel part of the, you know, part of the team and part of the program. On a personal level, how much of the regiment becomes like kind of a customized experience for these players? Um, wow. um, it's, uh, to an extent, um, I mean, there's always, for example, right now we're in a situation where players are training on their own, right? Because, 
Uh, yeah. They can't leave home. They can't, you know, a lot of them don't have, don't have anywhere, anywhere to train. So uh, right out of the gate, everyone got sort of the standard program that I've sent to everyone. But with that, I've also been, you know, every day, uh, kind of since all this thing, this, this whole deal has started, uh, speaking individually with the players, how you doing, what do you need? Oh, well, you know, I have this such and such equipment and I'm also interested in improving this. Okay, perfect. Workout for this player, workout for this player. So there's the general workout and then there's the individual workout, which also uh, is sort of a dynamic that, that always comes up even during the season. Uh, try to be specific to uh, uh, individual players' needs based on age, based wow. on uh, the position, uh, based on uh, you know, training experience. Uh, if there's a guy that's, that has quite a bit more training experience and wants to do a little more, wants to do some more advanced things, uh, extra workout, extra training for those guys. So I try as much as possible uh, to... Uh, come up with individualized programs along with you know what is the group program which I'm still you know big on sort of the the whole group train training together yeah. but also yes. have some individual differences whether it's extra work or whether it's again this guy doesn't like doing this or can't do this because of a previous injury so we're going to adapt the program to that player so there's always the individual program do you ever get guys being like hey coach Sean uh I want bigger biceps. Can we incorporate that? <laughs> <laughs> no, not typically. But that said, uh, with extra workouts, I always put stuff like that in it because I, I know it's there. I know the players. Yeah, it's for just, sure. <laughs> it's interesting. It's I mean, it's even just sort of, sort of a, you know, uh, uh, a confidence deal, right? I know that makes them feel yeah. better. So you just kind of throw it in there. Uh, because you know they're you know they're going to be into it. Who doesn't want bigger biceps, right? <laughs> Every day is biceps day, right? right. <laughs> I think I've been asking you this for years. I mean, right. every time we worked out, it's like Coach Sean, throw some biceps in there, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with the sport, but not everything has no. to be. Well, you know, when you sprint, you really gotta, you know, there's some bicep in there. I tried to tell myself that. Well, if you want to, if you want to get down to it, I mean, uh, the one benefit you go up, you're hitting another player. You know, you don't want skinny arms Boom. doing that. That's true. What What's one kind of misconception then uh, about football players that you've noticed over the 25 years of, of training them? You know, they're kind of to other sports. You know, more macho American sports, if you will, kind of look down upon football yeah. players, soccer players, as being you know, grass fairies I've been called my whole life or whatever. What's, what's a misconception you've noticed about football players? Uh, that's, that's, a real, that's a really good point. And that's, I mean, you're probably right there. But again, this, that's a little more localized to the United States, right? Because in most yeah. countries, in most countries, it's the footballers, you know, the soccer players that are the studs, right? I mean, they're the ones that right. kids look up yeah. to, that the kids want to emulate. Very different. Culturally, it's just very very different now i think the one thing that probably people don't understand is that they have to have very good aerobic capacity super high level aerobic capacity can you describe what aerobic capacity is to just the casual listener who doesn't know much about fitness sure sure aerobic versus anaerobic sure um just very basically the the use of the aerobic system you know producing energy uh with oxygen and carbohydrate but it's it's the continuous running, so to speak, or or it could be in intervals. It could be uh, uh, bursts of one, two, three minutes uh, with a little bit of rest or recovery after it. Um, so you have that. So you have sort of this aerobic base that you need, uh, but you also have to have speed because I think, like I like I stated earlier, the uh, the game is constantly playing at a faster and faster and faster pace, meaning longer sprints faster sprints, uh, repeated sprints. So you also have to have speed and repetitive sprint ability. So you're really, you're really, uh, you know, for a football player, you have all these different uh, um, uh, sort of objectives and parameters and, uh, and energy systems that you're trying to develop. It's not just, for example, um, American football, for example, explosive sport, 
speed, depending on the position, speed, uh, maximum strength, short burst activity. That's what it is. Uh, hmm. You know, soccer is not that. Soccer, football is not that. It's it's repetitive, uh, high intensity, um, you know, also getting hit. That's kind of one thing that surprised me. And depending on the league, it came here without much experience in the league. And I have never seen uh, players get hit as hard as I've seen players get hit in this league. And, really? Yeah. It, in Cyprus. In Cyprus. It was a... Absolute eye-opener. It was, I mean, I was absolutely shocked at how hard players get hit. And You mean like rugby, just smash and grab, or, or what's the... Pretty much. I mean, meaning, you know, long ball in the air. It's kind of like what you think of when, uh, you know, a quarterback is trying to hit uh, a receiver going across the middle and a ball that's up in the air. And you know the defensive back is like, oh, or the safety is just, oh, I'm just going to light this guy up, you know. Anything coming yeah. across, similar to that, similar to very that. Very apt analogy. Ball coming in the air, and you just, I'm just like, oh, please no. And uh -oh. you sure enough, boom. And here the referees, eh, not so big on the, I don't know if they have a, police, only so many, you know, only so many times they can blow the whistle. I feel like they're, they're kind of holding <laughs> back. They don't wanna, I can only blow the whistle 20 times. I don't want to waste it on that call. Do you prefer the kind of technical like start stop or do you would you rather in in most cases just say okay just hmm. play let the game go? Interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, I prefer I prefer that the game play obviously uh to an extent because when it's just hit hit and no no fouls uh and 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 the players aren't sort of in check um yeah, I don't I I prefer that it continues and continues and continues but you know, not at not at the cost of players getting hit so hard because ultimately, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I like to see players touch the ball off, touch the ball off. But also, players have to be smart, right? If you're you're not a big physical team, don't put the ball up in the air to try to you know to you know or or or, or give a fifty fifty ball to your to your teammate. You know, the guy, the defender coming after is just gonna you know he's just trying to take <laughs> out just trying to take out ankles up. Please don't do that. But at the same time. Uh, you know, for example, one thing that, that drives me crazy in Mexico is how slow, for example, um, even if there is a stoppage in play, how long it takes to start the next action, you know? And that, right. that, that more comes down to the referees more than anything. When you watch Premier League games or La Liga or, or the Bundesliga, um, the, the, the play tends to start fairly quickly, even on a free kick, even on a free mm -hmm. kick, yeah. they, they start the game much quicker than, you know, like in, in Latin America, for example. So, you know, um, a foul or a whistle, that could be a minute and a half. Absolutely ridiculous. Jeez. Do you have an injury that you're most proud of that you've helped a player like overcome that maybe got a horrific knee injury or ankle injury and that you've through strength and conditioning, like maybe not proved but just displayed fully on display for that player that hey this is this program works for a reason and he was able to come back like what was the injury maybe who was the player yeah okay oh, let's let's go what two. team yep i'll do one uh two things one individual um now again i'm not a, a rehab specialist or a athletic trainer or a physical therapist but i will say that there was a player that i had at kusasul Thank you for listening to part one with Coach Sean. Stay tuned next week for part deux.